Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Show, the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions. And now, the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio. Here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Hello, everyone, and we are back. And we're talking about a very interesting topic now. It's controversial, um, not always understood, and it's, it's important. And we're talking about uh, transgender kids. The book is The Transgeneration, How Trans Kids and Their Parents Are Creating a Gender Revolution. And this book is by my guest, Anne Travers. And Anne is a, a professor, associate professor in the Department of Sociology and Anthropology at Simon Fraser University and in, the, in Canada. And what we're talking about today is really trying to understand, to get an insight into the everyday facts of life for a trans boy, a trans girl, or a gender fluid child in a world of rigid gender divisions and expectations. As a sociologist, Ann Travers devoted over five years to getting to know the diversity of trans kids between the ages of 6 and 17 across the United States and Canada. Based on extensive interviews with not only trans kids, but also with many supportive, struggling parents, she sheds light on how trans kids cope with being misgendered, misunderstood, teased, bullied, discriminated against, and disabled at school, in sports, and in public places. Also by the healthcare system and well-meaning teachers and coaches. So it's it's a big, big topic, but uh, that's, that's what we're talking about. Welcome, Anne Travers. Hi, thanks so much for having me on the show. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you can talk about it. You know, one of the things I'm reading here is, imagine being a boy forced to attend school dressed in a girl's uniform, or imagine being a girl banned from the girl's bathroom, bathroom mm-hmm. and too afraid to go into a stall surrounded by boys. I mean, those are, those are tough things, so see if you can unravel it a little bit for us. What's the well, first thing you want us to know? Well, the first thing that I want to emphasize is that the majority of trans kids are invisible. They don't show themselves because they know that they would be ridiculed or rejected or punished for saying who they really are. We put so much time and energy into teaching kids that there are only two sexes, into telling them which one they are, and in emphasizing differences between boys and girls, that kids get the message loud and clear that deviating from either a boy or a girl category or refusing the category that was assigned to them will have very negative consequences. So most Mm. just hide it. And it's really obviously very hard on them in terms of mental health and self-esteem. They feel that they have no place that they belong. They feel that there's Mm. something wrong with them. Yeah, and the data indicates that approximately one out of 137 teens identify as transgender. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's not a small number. It isn't. No. What do you think? Uh, but I also I also believe that it would be higher if um, we had a a more open attitude to gender. Mm. If we understood gender as a spectrum and didn't spend so much cultural energy telling kids what sex they are and what this means, I think that there would be more kids, more young people who would say, mm, you know, the, the male-female thing doesn't quite work for me. Mm-hmm. Mm. Do you, what about gender nonconformity 
being considered or looked at as a psychological disorder. What would you say about that, Anne? Well, that is based in a, you know, an understanding of sex as determined at birth, that there are only two sex categories, and that failing to conform to the sex category is, you know, a psychological failure. But if you start to look at the the fact that this two-sex system is actually a cultural production and isn't based in nature, and that, you know, the range of personality traits, etc., likes and dislikes are far more complex and nuanced than so-called gender categories would dictate. Mm. Then we see that, um, like other kinds of uh, nonconformity, gender nonconformity has been pathologized in order to control and to, you know, prevent it. But let me ask you, when you say that this is this uh, is different with animals, is it? I mean, do you see yeah. these differences and explain that? Um, there's a, a, a really exciting piece of work by Joan Roughgarden in which she details uh, gender diversity in the animal world. And, mm. you know, we, we have this idea that there are clear male and female boundaries, but there are always outliers. There are always, uh, you know, animals, etc., or people who defy this categorization, but typically we, you know, we, we call them outliers or, you know, that they're like a, some, some parents of trans kids, not the ones that I've interviewed, think that their child has a birth defect. You know, they can understand mm. it in only this medical term that, you mm. know, there's something that's normal that is to be expected and anything that deviates from that is some kind of, you know, defect in nature's plan. But in fact, um, you know, there's great variety in both the animal kingdom and, in the human species in terms of sex and gender traits. Mm. And aren't some um, humans born with both uh, both mm-hmm. uh, genitalia? Yeah. Both or male and female. Or some combination of, uh, you know, chromosomes and external genitalia that, you know, are, are at odds. And that's a category of people that we typically refer to as intersex. And the intersex community has been working very, very hard over the last 30 years to stop doctors from performing unnecessary operations on infants and small children that are not designed to address any health issues, but rather to make them cosmetically conform to a mm. two-sex system. Mm. And, and I guess the other question is, how do they decide? You know, the parents are then making that decision for the child's gender, correct? With the advice of a doctor, for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. And, you know, intersex people who have become social activists around this talk about how um, they have no sexual function because of the way in which they were treated. You know, their intersex uh, condition was treated or, you know, they have perpetual bladder infections because of scar mm. tissue, etc. And, like, these surgeries were not performed um, for health reasons, but entirely to shore up the two-sex system with terrible consequences for mm. intersex people. And, you know, intersex people have been working very, very hard to stop the routine uh, sexual, uh, surgical so-called correction it- and what's the, what's, what's the um, percentage of intersex? Because that seems much more, much less common than trans. 
I know that Dr. Ann Fausto Sterling estimated 2 to 4%, but more conservative estimates are 0.9 to 1%. Mm, that's very, so it's rare. Mm-hmm. But the assumption of, you know, people who are assigned boys having a gender identity that is male and people that are assigned girls having a, a gender identity that is assigned female is incredibly troubled because the range of behaviors that, um, you know, are common to people who are assigned girls are probably much smaller than the range of behaviors that vary. I mean, if you look at the so-called average boy and so-called average girl, there are more differences among average boys and among average girls than between the two averages. Mm. It's just what we're taught to look at. It's like we're, we're taught to see the two sex system as based in nature and we explain anomalies away. So you're saying that there's more of a difference between uh, women in their own gender. There's more differences in your, in your own gender than there are between yeah. genders? Really? Yeah, if you think about it. Well, if, and if you think about it in terms of sports, because this is one place where people often get hung up. If you think about the, you know, the differences in athletic apt- aptitude um, yeah. among yeah. people categorized as men and among people categorized as women, there, there's a far greater range of difference than there is between the so-called average man and the so-called average woman. But the two-sex yes. system is structured yeah. into all our institutions. It's seen as natural and common sense. I mean, if we think about it, it wasn't that long ago, and unfortunately some people seem to be really still investing in this, the idea that uh, white supremacy was based in nature, that you know there are fundamental differences between so-called racial categories where white people were more civilized and more progressed than, you know, indigenous people or other racialized people. And we know that this is hogwash. And, hmm. but, but this was considered to be based in nature, like a, a, you know, like an absolute fact. And, you know, new science, like, like good science, has, has, you know, revealed that there is no gene for race, that there's an incredible range of characteristics. And, you know, the new feminist science studies have shown that in brain science research, for example, that brain, you know, you know the, the scientists who claim that, you know, the male brain is fundamentally different than the female brain? Yes. It's yes. been revealed that they're not even practicing good science. Uh, you know, so much so that Rebecca Jordan Young, uh, who is a, a sociologist who studies this, um, and... Raywin Connell and other sociologists argue that it would be more appropriate to talk about the science of sex similarity in brain studies than it is sex difference. Interesting. Yeah, because there mm-hmm. there are studies about differences in men and women in terms of the way they react to sexual function. You know, that a woman mm-hmm. becomes emotional because she doesn't have the same um, hormones that men have, that men can distance more than women. They get attached because of, of, of um, chemicals in the brain. I mean, there's a whole study That's around the, that. Well, there may be, for sure, there may be... Um, the result, but is that nature or nurture? Because if you look at the way in which boys are typically raised, they're discouraged from crying. They're not encouraged to develop their emotional intelligence and sensitivity. Um, boys are groomed very carefully by uh, society to view girls and women as sexual conquests, to mm-hmm. value their masculinity on the basis of you know their sexual interactions with women, whereas. 
uh, girls and women are groomed to view uh, sexuality as potentially a shameful activity. You know, it's very, very difficult for girls and women to figure out how to be sexual and for that to be okay. You know, they're either Mm -hmm. too sexual or they're not sexual enough. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard to say once somebody has been um, socialized as a girl or a boy and, you know, becomes an adult, it's really hard to say whether that that's nature or nurture, because one of the things that the really interesting brain science tells us is that the brain develops in context. The way in which brain and personality develop is environmentally um, conditioned. It doesn't mean that an environment, you know, like the same environment has the same effect on people, but mm-hmm. there is an, like the way in which our brains develop are, are mediated, which is why it's so important to have strong attachments between adult caregivers and children, yeah. um, you know, in order to promote healthy brain development, because if they don't have that healthy attachment, their nervous systems are too jangled, they're too on edge to do some mm-hmm. of the healthy growing that they mm-hmm. need to do. So mm-hmm. it's really hard to say whether, you know, so-called differences in hormonal structure um, influence male sexual behavior versus female sexual behavior or if, you know, one becomes conditioned. One becomes, Mm -hmm. if you're a female, for example, to learn that, you know, sex is only okay in the context of a love relationship. Right. Yeah. So it's it's hard to say which comes first. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. It really really makes you think. I mean, it really does. We're going to take a break, Anne, and when we come back, we're going to talk more. We're now going to talk about what can we do? What can parents do to build resilience in trans kids? You know, how can they allow their kids to be authentic at home and yet expect them to perform at school? So we're going to talk about, you know, the larger context here of these kids in school and with families. You're listening to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show, and my guest is Ann Travers, and her book is The Trans generation, what, how trans kids are creating a gender revolution and their parents as well. All right, you're listening to The Patricia Raskin Show. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with Ann Travers. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts, we'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Can you truly be a change agent in your community? We think you can. Tune in every week for Envision with co-hosts Thomas Rosenberg and Ronnie Langer-Kroger. The show is all about building an inclusive and just future by connecting people with ideas. Connect with what's happening in your community, your country, and around the world as we speak with amazing guests who are fostering change and making their communities better. Envision is heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Our humanity is a thing we take for granted, but it takes many forms, and it requires much of us to fully express it. Listen to On Living, The Trauma and Beauty of Being Human with host Dr. Leanne Nguyen. This program will explore topics about survival, fulfillment, hope, connection, being fully alive to ourselves and to others. Guests are people whose life experience inspires us to reflect on these questions. Tune into On Living, broadcasting live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. You are listening to The Patricia Raskin Show. If you wish to call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That number again is 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. Now, back to The Patricia Raskin Show. Hi, everyone, and we are back, and we are talking about a very controversial and sensitive subject, but one we're hearing more about, and that is transgender identity. My guest is Ann Travers. She's the author of the new book, The Trans Generation, How Trans Kids and Their Parents Are Creating a Gender Revolution. She offers rare insights into the everyday facts of life for boys and girls and gender-fluid children in a world of rigid gender divisions and and expectations. And she is a sociologist, and, uh, and she's assistant professor in the Department of Sociology and Anthropology at Simon Fraser University in, in Vancouver. You're, again, uh, welcome back, Anne. Hello. All right. Let's talk about, let's switch this a little bit to what parents can do, because this is not an easy thing. So, you know, how can parents allow their trans kids to be authentic at home and then expect them to perform at birth? And how can they teach them about gender inclusivity and trans sensitivity? Well, let me just take it back one step and say that it's something that all parents should do is let their kids know that, you know, gender is a spectrum and that there are a number of ways to identify and that they're all okay and that, you know, however they like to express themselves is appropriate. I mean, that's just a general thing that is helpful for kids who are comfortable being boys or girls to feel like, oh, you know, just because I'm a girl or just because I'm a boy, you know, so to de-emphasize gender difference is a good start because it creates more openness for all kids. And then you're more likely to know that you have a trans kid because your kid will not hide this from you. I interviewed some parents who did not know their child was trans until the kid attempted suicide or something Mm. like that or engaged in some pretty serious self-harm. So you want to create an open and trusting environment around gender identity and sexual orientation so that your kid feels like they can say that to you. Um, And if you do have a child who you know is trans or is, you know, visibly gender nonconforming, um, then you need to support them. And I do want to say that there are incidences where children and parents agree that the best decision is to be who they are at home and to um, conform at school because school is just such a dangerous environment. Sometimes kids and their parents are exactly on the same page about it, and it's not a parent who is imposing, okay, but you can't do it at school. Sometimes it's a decision that they they write, like, you're not going to survive. Um, But... Mm. For parents whose children are trans, 
or gender nonconforming and you're holding them back, you need to stop because you're damaging their self-esteem. So you need to educate yourself about trans issues so that you can be a good advocate for your child because the most important factor in the well-being of trans kids is family acceptance and support. Mm-hmm. So you need to get on board. If your kid tells you yeah. that they're a girl and that's not how you've understood them, then they're a girl. And that doesn't mean that they have to want to wear dresses or skirts or anything like that. You know, you can't get caught up in how they right. express their gender. But if they tell you um, that they have a gender identity that's not what you expected, you need to accept it and support them and tell them they're fabulous. And work and, really hard to make sure that other people treat them well. And what is your feeling or what's the consensus about um, reassi- sexual reassignment in terms of, you know, genitalia? Well, The first thing that I want to emphasize is that for some trans people who choose gender confirmation surgery, that's a decision that happens much later. It's not something that children and young teens are engaged in. Surgeries are not performed on children and young teens, except in the case of intersex infants, you know, without their consent. Um, That's happening less now. But for children who... Um, undergo a social transition that simply means that they change their name uh, if their name is not gender neutral. They change, you know, they have different pronouns and they just ask to be treated as, you know, either a boy or a girl or perhaps as a a non-binary person and the pronouns would be changed. Um, At puberty, some kids will choose puberty suppression therapy, um, which is fully reversible. And what it does is it stops the development of secondary sex characteristics. And in effect, it gives a kid some time to decide, you know, to think, okay, is, is, you know, do I really want to grow up to be a man or do I really want to grow up to be a woman? And, you know, so they have a couple of years to just sort of sit and think before they have secondary sex characteristics developed that are very difficult to um, to modify, you know, that's so that do, do incredibly that? invasive do they, procedures. How do they do that? Is it hormones? Is it like a hormonal treatment? Um, well, let's say you had a trans kid who was a boy, always knew mm-hmm. they were a boy. Um, so probably around 10 or 11, they'd start taking hormone suppression therapy. And all that okay. would do is put a pause on puberty. They wouldn't develop breasts. They wouldn't develop hip, Got they it. wouldn't start their period, etc. So when they were about 13 or 14, if they had the, you know, and then they would say, look, I'm a guy. I got to live as a guy. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, then they would be uh, given testosterone and they would develop um, secondary sex characteristics that are typical of men. Many mm-hmm. trans people engage in no surgery at all. So they would, you know, you know, there are trans men who live as men who have not had any surgery at all. And it's a lot easier if they don't go through puberty, because if you go through puberty, then you are looking at either, you know, binding with a chest binder or having uh, chest reconstruction surgery. But, you know, if a kid has access to hormone blockers, they don't have to do that. And, you know, there are some trans people who do have um, genital surgery, you know, Mm -hmm. but... Like I said, the majority of trans people will choose not to do so, or they'll never have access to that kind of treatment anyway. Mm -hmm. All right. We only have a couple minutes left. So I just want to say one thing quickly, but it has to be a short answer. And that is that if you're trans, you can like the person of of your trans sex or the opposite sex, correct? It it, it doesn't mean... 
No, it's not, it's not a sexual orientation. Got it. Right. Right. So you could be a trans girl and still like a woman, or you could be a trans girl and like a man. It depends. Or like someone who is non-binary. You could be pansexual and be attracted to people of all genders. What does that mean? Explain that pansexual, quickly. Pansexual is a way of describing a sexual orientation that isn't based on the two-sex system. Um, Got it. So, you know, if you recognize that, you know, gender is a spectrum, then, you know, people who are pansexual are attracted to the person, not the gender identity. Okay. Got it. All right. We're going to have to close. This is very fascinating. Uh, again, tell people how they can get a copy of the book, Transgeneration. It's published by New York University Press, so you can go to their website or you can Google Transgeneration and find it via, you know, the usual online sources. Thank you so much, Anne, for being on the program. It was really... Thank you for giving me a chance to talk about the book. Thank you. Thank you. Stay on the line for a minute. All right, folks, that wraps up this edition of the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show. Find me online, Patricia Raskin, Raskin Resources. You can listen to, uh, that's on Facebook, but you can listen to this interview that we broadcast on Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern and noon Pacific. And you can write to me, Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com, and I'd love to hear from you, and I'll put you on my newsletter list so you can see my upcoming guests on my programs and other things. Until next time, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. I'm Patricia Raskin. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of the Patricia Raskin Show. Be sure to join Patricia Raskin and another amazing guest next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have an outstanding week. 